You're listening to the Pure Fury Creations Podcast Network, powered by Anchor.fm. The following is a close to the heart presentation in association with the PFC Podcast Network and has been rated L for mature audiences only. Some language and dialogue may not be suitable for members of a family under 18 years of age. Uh, We are going to uh, tackle a genre of sorts. But you and I didn't have any clue what the hell we were going to do. We're going to talk about movies, we're going to talk about TV shows, we're going to talk about toys, we're going to talk about, you know, all the things that made this such um, such an important part. I love toys. I'm Jason Klaus. I'm Sean Grugel. And we are Power Tripping. Through the 80s. Here on the PFC Podcast Network, powered by Anchor.fm. Hello, everybody. Welcome to a very special edition of Power Tripping Through the 80s here on the PFC Podcast Network, powered by Anchor.fm. And as far as this week goes, also going to be available in video form over on <laughs> surprise uh, uh, over on the Klaus to the Heart YouTube channel. So this is going to be our first uh, quote unquote simulcast episode. Joining me is my tag team partner for this endeavor. Sean Google is with me. Sean, uh, we're going to do something pretty cool, as you can tell. We are in in a mode here because, you know, this topic that we're going to talk about is um, something that is near and dear to both you and I on personal levels. It is timely with the Halloween season in full swing here. Uh, before we get into it, um, number one, it is very gracious of you to allow our listeners and viewers to have kind of a a sneak peek into your um, your happy place, as it were. Would you say that that's accurate? Yeah, this is this is my happy place. I mean, this is what uh, not only is, is this what happens in my office, as you will, but this is what goes on in my mind twenty four seven. It's just a clutter of memorabilia and. I, so happy that we have an outlet to to get some of this mess out of my head. So. Sure, uh, it's very it's very cool. Um, those who are listening to the regular podcast, if you have time, uh, I mean, obviously we would we appreciate you listening to the audio version of this. But if you do have time, head on over to uh, youtube.com forward slash Klaus to the heart. And you'll be able to see what we're talking about because your backdrop, brother, is um, nothing short of a personal museum to all things 
uh, about our topic this week. Of course, we're going to do a deep dive on the 1984 movie Ghostbusters. Now we will we will talk about the the sequel a little bit, the 1989 version or release. Uh, we may touch on very briefly the reboot in 2016 and the the afterlife that came out earlier this year. Um, <coughs> with that, Ghostbusters. Do you remember when it came on your radar for the first time? Absolutely not. Um, we talked in previous episodes how my grandparents, they lived in Berkeley, Michigan, right around the corner from the Berkeley Theater. And my uncle, God rest his soul, um, Ghostbusters came out and he took myself and my cousin to the Berkeley Theater to see it for the first time. And let's just say it was love at first sight. So that, that's how it came on my radar. What made it stick with me was after the movie, because Berkeley, while it wasn't, for the lack of a better term back then, an upscale town, mm-hmm. they had brought the Ecto-1 into the parking lot. And I remember vividly hearing that siren and my head snapping around, and I just got done seeing it on the screen. That was sitting right there in real life, and I was absolutely floored. So. That that began my love affair with this movie. This uh, it's movies like this, and like we did a deep dive one of the very beginning episodes of this show on Back to the Future, and movies like this, they stand the test of time. You know what I'm saying? Like of all the movies that have been made and produced and and all that, like there are select few that achieve the mainstream iconic status that Ghostbusters has or that Back to the Future has. And there's there's other franchises that were pivotal parts of our fandom, you know, when we were kids in the 80s. Um, I remember going to see this. I actually saw it twice at, uh, in, in the theaters. The first time I saw it was at Showcase East in Burton. And uh, my mom took my brother and me. And then uh, later on that summer, because that movie was out for a while, like it was the number two biggest movie of 1984. And when you talk about the movies that came out in 1984, like that's a hell of a... Of a of an accomplishment. Um, but uh, the second time we went and seen it was, uh, <laughs> phenomenal. I, 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 they were watching at home. I had to do something stupid to make them laugh. <laughs> oh man, that's phenomenal. Uh, but the Pix Theater in downtown Lapeer, one, one of the movies that Jeff and I saw at the Pix. And, uh, you know, we didn't have the opportunity to see the car there in person, but that movie made enough of, of an impact where it was, I mean, to this day, like if it's one of those few movies, if I see it's on TV, I'll stop for for a few minutes and 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 watch a little bit of it. I mean, I've, you know, how many times have, have we seen this thing? Hundreds, right? So, I mean, I can, it, it doesn't matter where it's at in the movie. I could probably pick up 
the dialogue right at right sight on scene. I'm sure you're like that too, right? Oh, without a shadow of a doubt. Um, that movie, my, my wife gets sick of that movie because I have it on VHS, I have it on DVD, I have it on Blu-ray, I have it on digital. So when, when I get bored, uh, those three movies are my go-to. Uh, Ghostbusters 1, Ghostbusters 2, and Ghostbusters Afterlife. Answer the call. I, I, you know, you said we were going to touch that briefly, so let's make it real brief because that's all the attention it really deserves. Uh, after the uh, answer to call, um, while I felt it was a good movie, it contributed nothing, in my opinion, to the franchise. So that really, I'll watch it if it's on. Uh, I like, uh, oh, Holtzman. I think she's a great character. Yeah. Uh, matter of fact, you know, if I was to hang out with anybody from any of the Ghostbusters franchises, it would be Holtzman. And that really disturbs a lot of people who are involved with Ghost Corps. Yeah. But, um, I, I, I think she did a phenomenal job playing that character. Um, but yeah, to answer your question, you say you've seen that movie hundreds of times. I've probably watched that movie thousands of times. And it's not just to watch the movie, but to pick up little details and different pieces of equipment and, you know, diff different things that uh, a lot of people don't really look for. So. It, uh, <laughs> as you're talking, like I'm, I'm listening, but I'm really dialed into the background. You know, you've got the proton pack, you have the jumpsuit, you you know it's it's on the arcade game right behind you that you you know just there's just so much cool stuff there you got the 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 marshmallow man and what is, oh my goodness here? <laughs> um, i actually went out and found when you watch the ghostbusters movie the walkie-talkie that vinkman uses to call stance uh-huh I found one of the actual types of walkie-talkies that Big would use in that. Um, He's right here, Ray. <laughs> He's looking at me. Um, yeah, I have the fire station. Uh, this is more or less based on the cartoon from the real Ghostbusters. I have your ecto-goggles. Uh, I do have the jumpsuit. Um, I have a working... Well, working, unlicensed nuclear accelerator on the wall that uh, a gentleman by the name of Doc Brewer built for me from Ghostbusters SWAT. Um, this thing, prob I mean, it's right to scale. It's one-to-one -one detail. And you put that thing on your back, it's like carrying a 12-year-old. It's at, oh, it's heavy as hell. But it gets a lot of attention. I bet um, it does. What you're not seeing is is we we have every Funko Pop known to man that has anything to do with Ghostbusters out in the other room. And so I say the other room, so that just tells you the extent of my collection. And again, my, my wife hears Ghostbusters and uh, you might as well tell her we're having spinach for dinner. It's, it's not good. <laughs> oh, phenomenal. Well, let's talk about 
let's talk about the origins of what would become this iconic movie. This actually stemmed from, you know, there's been all kinds of books and specials and things of this nature done on this franchise at this point. But, uh, you know, the majority of this thing came from the mind of Dan Aykroyd, who uh, portrayed Ray Stance in the movie. Um, you know, upon research, you you learn that the movie was originally, in, when he was writing it, it had him, John Belushi, and Eddie Murphy in in the original roles. and obviously i believe it was during the course of of the writing that uh uh john belushi passed away and obviously you had to do a pivot um belushi died in 1982 uh so the movie was being written around that same time now i know you I know this movie in in particular is very, very near and dear to your heart, and you have done probably way more research on this franchise than I even thought about. Like you have like the insiders, you know, book to the the actual movie here. I'm pretty sure you you got that thing memorized, don't you? No, I don't because that's words. <laughs> <laughs> You got Spangler, sir. Prince is dead. Um, I like looking at the pretty pictures, but <laughs> I have watched plenty of documentaries as it pertains to the movie. So mm-hmm. it's, uh, yeah, Belushi, you know, between Belushi, Murphy, and Aykroyd, all being Saturday night alum, Aykroyd wanted to do something for all of them together. And it was an unfortunate set of circumstances that Belushi passed away. But, and I, I know you'll probably have this wrote down on your notes, but, and I'm all facing the camera or not, but Slimer. Slimer was said to be a tribute to Belushi. But actually, what's so funny about it is if you listen to the, the person, I can't name, think of his name right now, who created Slimer, Slimer was already made before they asked him to put Belushi in the movie, and they just sent it in like that. Mm-hmm. And they were like, it, it looks just like him. <laughs> so that, that's where that uh, Belushi tidbit comes from. What, what I had found in my research is, yes, Belushi was uh, what was said to be represented by Slimer, but it wasn't necessarily Belushi the man. It was his character in Animal House. You know, the party animal, starts the food fight, all that. Yeah, pop. <laughs> what am I? I was it. Um, uh, but you see a lot of those characteristics between his character in Animal House and how Slimer is presented in the movie. So I can see where there's that correlation. Um, you know, it's, it's no secret that Dan Aykroyd and John Belushi were you know, they, they were peanut butter and jelly, man. Like where you saw one, you saw the other. They, they were mainstays. They were part of the foundation of the original Saturday night live. Um, they created the blues brothers and I just, there, you can't, you, you could not have one without the other for a long time. So obviously with, with Aykroyd, writing the concept of this movie, of course, he's going to include his best friend, 
I was surprised to learn that Eddie Murphy was, you know, one of the the original hopefuls for the movie. I mean, what a dynamic, like the entire movie, the dynamic of it, I feel like would have changed. And that's not just the storyline. We'll get to that here in a minute. But can you imagine if it was Aykroyd, Belushi, and Murphy instead of Bill Murray, Harold Ramis, and Aykroyd? I mean, what would that look like? Well, the character of Winston Zedmore's uh, role in the movie definitely wouldn't have been cut down as much as it was. Eddie Murphy would have attempted to overshadow the other characters in the movie. And by not having Eddie Murphy in the movie, while we can always sit here and speculate what if, I prefer the what is in this case because... While Winston in part one didn't have a real big role, like he was supposed to be, I believe, uh, a military, some sort of military personnel. Yeah. uh, I believe in our next incarnation after Afterlife that just came out, um, his role is going to be that much bigger because now he's a business mogul. Uh, if, if you stay through the end credits, spoiler alert of Afterlife, you'll see scenes with him and Annie Potts. And uh, there, there was an exchange of a coin, which I'm not real sure what that's about. But Winston will be playing a much larger role this time and instead of the previous two, two, two movies. So. I got you. Um, Now, the original storyline with Ghostbusters, the way that Aykroyd was writing it, was a contrast to what actually wound up being. I found in my research here that the original concept centered around a lot of space travel and how that would incorporate with ghosts and things of this nature. I just, I couldn't even imagine how space travel would be incorporated in battling ghosts, but apparently that was the original plan. Uh, When that story was not earning a lot of attention from producers, you know, there was no funding available for it. So, you know, you kind of have to go back to the drawing board. This is where Harold Ramis comes into the picture. Harold Ramis, I didn't realize was a very accomplished screenwriter in addition to his his credits as as an actor uh he was hired by by columbia at this point to help rewrite the script and the storyline for for ghostbusters and all in a lot of aspects not all of them obviously but like harold ramus comes in and kind of fills that void that John Belushi's passing did for for Dan Aykroyd and like these two would wind up collaborating not only on screen but behind the scenes and you know they really you could tell they had a mutual friendship and appreciation for for one another would you say that that's accurate yeah well Harold Ramis uh like you said was quite an accomplished writer one of my favorite movies he ever did was Stripes yes 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 and the character Egon Spangler, the way he played it, the way he played it so dry, the way he played it so 
scientific uh, really made that character. Um, just a little sidebar, you're going back to uh, talking about how this movie was started. This movie wasn't even originally called Ghostbusters. It was called right. Ghost Smashers. And when they wanted to change the name to Ghostbusters, there was already a cartoon that had come out with that name. Did you, did you uh, see that? I'm sorry. I don't mean to jump the gun. No, 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 no. Um, but there was already a cartoon uh, with the name of Ghostbusters. And they had to barter and bargain. I believe there was a buyout of the studio at one point to, to acquire the name. Uh, so, sorry wasn't about it, No, no. Wasn't it a cartoon based in, in like, China or Japan? It was overseas, was it not? I, I, I can't tell you because it, it could have been because I honestly never seen it. I know there right. was a monkey in it. And whenever there's a monkey in something, I am okay with it. So, <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> oh, that's great. Um, the skip. <laughs> get back on page here. <laughs> if, if it's got a monkey in it, I'm okay with it. That's a new t shirt that's going to be available over at Cafe Press. <laughs> I'm seriously writing that down. That's oh, great. I, I might need one of those for real. I, I'll tell you, man, monkeys and anything are great. I mean, sidebar, do you remember the commercial? For that insurance company, they had the trunk monkey. You know, yeah, I love the trunk monkeys. I love Clyde on every which way but loose. Yeah. Give me most valuable primate. Yeah, give, give, give them all to me. Give, give me the monkeys. So, all right, I'm done with that. <laughs> Where are you at on the band, the monkeys? Oh, man. I, the TV show was one of my favorites. I can sing the last train to Clarksville word for word, though I'm not going to do it on this show. <laughs> I mean, it's no, it's no Ghostbusters by Ray Parker Jr. by any stretch, but God damn, that song had a beat to it you could dance to. So. <laughs> oh, phenomenal. Filming. Okay, once once they figure out what, what they're going to do, they, they bought out the rights to use the name Ghostbusters. Um, now comes the, the, the time for the filming in my research. I have found that filming took place from October of 1983 to January of 1984. Um, and now the movie would be released on June the 8th of 1984. And man, it seems to me, um, like we talked a little bit about that with, with back to the future as well. Like there was a pretty quick faster than usual turnaround time by the time the movie was done filming to when it was edited and the music was put into it and all the bells and whistles, the graphics, blah, 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 to the big release. Uh, this was no exception. I mean, this was less than six months between the time um, filming had, had wrapped up and when the movie was released because, you know, I guess it all, all depends on how involved the, the production was you know, but during Ghostbusters here, like this is the first time we really got exposed throughout the course of the movie to what special effects can do to a movie. Like you use, you know, Slimer as an example, you know, the, the technology that it took 
to create that character on screen uh at the time like there wasn't a whole lot that we had seen like that and then you go later on in the flick well like with the 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 marshmallow man walking through manhattan you know that's an incredible piece of of cinematography there some special effects go into place there you know there was is that one of the aspects because i know it was for me but is that one of the one of the aspects that made this movie such a, a huge part and what made you a fan of it i mean it's one of the parts um when you when you look at the movie okay so you mentioned the marshmallow man and slimer two of the most iconic ghosts in the film but i mean the marshmallow man okay his part was cool he was he was godzilla essentially when they filmed that they they put a man in a marshmallow suit and had him tromping down on a model city you know mm-hmm. Slimer was a little more advanced, but the one that everyone forgets about, and the one that made the biggest impact on me was the uh, library ghost. That, yeah. <laughs> that set the tone for the whole movie. When, in the beginning, when, when they're doing the investigation, and Dan Aykroyd stops everybody, he says, listen, do you smell something? Nope. Yeah. That line has stuck with me for years because that was one of those things where I had to go, what the hell did he just say? When I was a kid, not so much, a little bit older. But when they come around the corner and Ray comes up with the plan, get her. And that ghost changes from the quaint little old librarian to the big scary-ass screaming ghost. And the Ghostbusters turn tail and run out of that building. That's what set the tone for the whole movie for me, because that lets you know that, hey, this shit could really be true. This shit could really happen. Uh, She was not comical looking. She was scary as hell. This movie was supposed to be along the lines of a horror movie when it was first being written. The possibility of an afterlife, the possibility of trapping a ghost. Dan Aykroyd said at one time his father had, so his father was like a parapsychologist and his grandfather was like a parapsychologist, if I can use that term. His -hmm. father said that it was possible to capture a ghost in time, to freeze a ghost in time. And that's what Dan Aykroyd used as like an inspiration to start creating this movie. So. When you look at the proton packs and you look at the ghost traps and you look at how they they were used in the movie, how, what if? What if we could really do something like this? What if we could capture a ghost? That is where my passion for this movie stems from. Because much later on in life, and you know this, I became a... Uh, paranormal researcher myself. I I spent overnights at Mansfield Reformatory. I spent many nights in cemeteries taking pictures, uh, taping EVPs, you know, capturing orbs, you know, all these different things. And Ghostbusters had an indelible effect on me to want to do these type of things. I I mean, you can see it now. It's it's still a passion. if someone was to say to me, hey, Sean, we're going to do an overnight at Mansfield Reformatory, I'm dusting off my gear, 
probably not throwing on the proton pack because that just might be a little too much. But I'm going to go out the field and I'm going to see if I can't capture a ghost. And it's the whole aspect of what if. That's the same thing with Back to the Future when we talked about that. What if time travel was possible? What if? It could happen. We don't know. The last Starfighter. Is there life on other planets? What if? If I play this damn video game, am I going to get recruited by Ivan Reitman to become a Ghostbuster? Well, obviously he's a ghost now. <laughs> right, I was going to say, you're not going to hear from him. <laughs> but, you know, the, 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 the possibilities, that's... I think in a lot of aspects, we, we talk about what's happening now versus what happens then. Movies like this gave us hope, whereas a lot of stuff that's coming out now, they don't have the, I don't want to say they don't have the sense of adventure, but Hollywood is so creative now, they just keep going back to remaking old things and trying to make them new. So. They have literally run out of ideas. Yes. They yep. have run. They have literally run out of original ideas. You wouldn't think that that would be a thing, but they have, because for what you just said, they're doing reboots, they're doing sequels. Thirty years later, Top Gun. Okay, I mean, how long had it been since the original come out? I know we're going on a sidebar. That's what we do here on the network across all of our shows. Really, just bear with us. We'll we'll bring it back. Um. What? I love Maverick. I really loved it when they called it Star Wars back in the 70s. <laughs> Tell me it's not the same movie. I haven't seen it. <laughs> Dude, okay, think about Star Wars, the Death Star, right? You have to fly the X-Wing fighter through the canyon. You have to do a little whoop-de-woo, shoot the missile into the little hole and blow up the Death Star, right? Okay. What the fuck are they doing in Maverick? They're flying through a fucking canyon, looking for, you know, going through the little whoop-de-woo, do a little flippy do. There's a hole. They got to shoot a fucking missile into the hole, and they blow up the fucking base. It's fucking Star Wars! Fucking assholes, come up with something original. Oh, my God. What's in that bottle, pal? It's not ecto-cooler, I'll tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fucking Maverick! Fuck you, God! I hate Maverick. Hey, I'm waiting. I'm waiting for him to reboot the Goonies because I'm going to tear that shit apart. I hear that's a thing. It is a thing. I'm not real happy. No, leave it alone. Come up with something original. Me, I. I Okay. Let's HSA award winner right here, buddy. HSA award winner. I did not mean to get you so fired up first thing on a Saturday morning. I'll, I'll have you know. Gonna make a fat man have a heart attack for Christ. I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this shit. All right. Uh, the, the movie. <laughs> oh, yeah. We're talking about Ghostbusters, aren't we? Fucking A. Tweedy. Okay, let's go, buddy. <laughs> Released. <laughs> Released on June the 8th, 1984, it cost between 25 and $30 million to make the movie. 
box office uh, final tally for its original run, $295.2 million. I would say it was a success. I would say so, but a little bit of investment got them a big return. You know, they, I, I mean, for real. Um, like I said, the number two biggest or the second biggest movie in 1984. Um, you know, you talk about Indiana Jones, the Temple of Doom. Um, you know, a lot of big time movies came out around the summer of 84. Uh, Beverly Hills Cop. Um, I, I mean, you go right on down the line, just iconic blockbusters. This one, you know, and to be honest, you know, the the, uh, the original trailers and stuff like that, it, it didn't have a whole lot of hype behind it. But it's one of those movies where there was a demographic of fans that were invested because of who was in it. You know, Dan Aykroyd, Bill Murray are Saturday Night Live alums. Um, Harold Ramis, one of the big three in in the movie, but like not a lot of people knew him on on the grand scale that they knew of Dan Aykroyd and Bill Murray. But you put Ernie Weaver's name above the title, and then you have another you know demographic of people that you know she's coming off the success of Alien, and. Like she was a big time name at that point. So you have those four names above the title people. It was becoming a word of mouth thing. Like they would go see it. And they're like, man, this, this exceeded all of our expectations. The special effects, not just with Slimer and the librarian, but the streams from the proton packs. Don't cross them. You know, it, about two very, Big other names in the movie, and everyone forgets about the fourth Ghostbuster, Ernie Hudson. I was I was going to get to him. Okay, <laughs> I'm very upset. Oh, I, pal, we're, I'm getting there. I'm getting. I'm I'm talking about the goddamn poster. Well, er, Ernie Hudson's name was not on on the original poster, other no, than the, than the what? There's the poster. There is no Ernie Hudson on the poster. Um, he wasn't even on the know, goddamn box art. Well, Harold Ramis's name isn't on the poster. It's Bill Murray, Dan Aykroyd, Sigourney Weaver, an Ivan Reitman film. I, I can send a picture of it after the fact, but there's no Ernie Hudson. And where the fuck is Rick Moranis's name on that poster? He is in the little credits at the bottom of the poster. Also starring... Right. Rick Moranis. Now we're going to talk about his role too. Actually, we'll we'll you you said his name. Let's let's talk about him real quick. Rick Moranis, Lewis Tully in in the movie, Dana Barrett's neighbor, the little nerd, dude, scene stealer. Everyone that he was in, he he provided <laughs> he provided um, that those let me up segments. You know, if 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 you're coming off a pretty intense scene, you you went to Lewis Tully and just he. I didn't know this until I did research last night. As a matter of fact, it was originally that role was supposed to be John Candy. Yep, sure was. And do you know why John Candy did not do that role? Why? 
well, creative differences. He thought that uh, Louis Tully should have been German and spoke with a German accent. And he was supposed to have a dog. Imagine John Candy being German. I can't. In a park with Dana Barrett. <laughs> no, number one, Lewis Tully, Rick Moranis is a small and physical stature man. Yeah. You put him up against Sigourney Weaver, and she was at least a head taller than him. I think that made that dynamic so much better than having John Candy, who was six foot tall, over 300 pounds, next to Sigourney Weaver. Um, but yeah, from what I understand from uh, doing my research over the years, is that what is exactly what it was? It was creative differences. And then I think he went on to do, was it Uncle Buck, maybe? Or um, I feel like Uncle Buck came out either 87 or 88. Okay. I feel like I it was later in the 80s. I don't know. You know, yeah, you John look you look at um like Dan Aykroyd is the one who sought out Ivan Reitman to to direct this movie and that's coming off of um his success that, that he worked with with both Bill Murray and Harold Ramis in Stripes. Now, Ivan Reitman would go on and have an incredible career. He made some amazing movies during his career. He's no longer with us, un unfortunately, but his son is now very, very much involved in, in the movie making process has a lot, you know, he's, I feel like he's going to be one of the next big names as far as producers and, and directors go, but you know, Ivan Reitman, um, well, I don't know, you know, every director has like their own style and Ivan Reitman at, at the time, like, yeah, he had success, but I feel like the success of Ghostbusters, like a lot of directors, when they have their big marquee movie, like this put him on another level, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, the thing of it is, is. With a, a movie, okay, I think a lot of a lot of things that have to do with a movie is a soundtrack. And when Ray Parker Jr. came up with the theme for Ghostbusters, I, I mean, that that song took off to the top. I mean, it was one of one of the biggest songs of, of the '80s when it came to Ray Parker Jr. Um, can I get into too far into that? No. But I can tell you that Ray Parker Jr. makes a lot of money every time that song is played. Yeah. So, I mean, it's still relevant to this day. It's because of that one song. So, <clears throat> but you're, you're I, studying hard. You're looking for something. No, I, uh, among my, my, my research, I found this list. Um, it is what they call this seven bizarre facts you didn't know about ghostbusters and, and okay. I, I probably knew <laughs> I, that's why that's kind of why i want to i want to run down this run this down okay. because i i want to see if, if i'm going to be able to uh stump you i doubt it but we'll try it 
you remember the hotline in the commercial that they ran when they formed the company? They, five, 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 seven, three, eight. Yeah, you know that that was a real hotline. Yeah. Okay. Uh, before the <laughs> Ghostbusters be, become established in New York City, they released a commercial to advertise their services. The three original members of Bankman, Stance, and Spangler appear on television with the number five 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 two three six eight. During the during the film's theatrical release in '84, Ivan Reitman ran that very same a commercial which allowed people to call in and where people would hear a pre-recorded message from Bill Murray and Dan Aykroyd and announce that they were unable to answer because they were busy busting ghosts. That's fun. Ghostbusters isn't the original title. We already uh, talked about that. Uh, Ghost Smashers and Ghost Breakers were also an option. Uh, Slimer has an un unofficial nickname. Do you know what it is? Oh, God. It was, uh, yeah, because they had to film something flying through the air. What was it? Was it not Jelly Bean? What the hell was it? You're kind of on the right path. It is a food. Huh? It is a food. Yeah, I'm trying to think. Was it a bean? You know, it's escaping me at the moment, but yeah, it had it had to do with what they filmed to get Slimer on the screen. I, I don't remember exactly what it was. Um, onion Head. Onion Head, okay. Now, here's what I didn't know. The Ugly Little Spud, as Slimer was referred to, wasn't actually named Slimer until the animated show, The Real Ghostbusters, was was released. The cartoon. You know that? I didn't know that. But it makes sense because they never referred to him as Slimer. Right. Nor, nor did they refer to him as Slimer in Ghostbusters 2 because when Rick Moranis got on the bus to help break apart the pink slime, he just gets on the bus, he goes, oh, it's you. Yeah. So he never it said his name it just said that too as as i was reading that you, you were saying that i'm like i'll be damned um <laughs> slimer isn't the only ghost in the original movie who oops oh you son of a bitch okay here we go slimer isn't the only ghost in the original movie who isn't referred to by name we now know him by the gozer's two minions are never referred to as terror dogs despite the hellhounds being synonymous with the name. Hmm. Zool and Vince Clortho. <laughs> yeah. There well, is no Dana, only Zool. Right, I was going to say, they're referred to as Zool when that happens and uh, when Rick Moranis is running around saying, I'm Vince Clortho, Keymaster of Gozer. Are you the gatekeeper? You know, yeah. <laughs> He was talking to the horse. Hey, buddy, I'm the one that does the deals around here. <laughs> what an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> um, as we talked about, Eddie Murphy was offered the role of Winston. Yeah, it was supposed to be a futuristic adventure. We kind of talked about that as well. 
Um, I guess I should have looked at should have looked at this uh, a little bit closer before I presented this to you because we've already talked about a lot of this. Uh, it's all inspired by a real Ghostbuster, which you referred to Dan Aykroyd's relative, and that's what what spawned the idea. They have it here. Um, the Ray Stantz character, or the Ray Stantz actor, which is Dan Aykroyd, is well known for his interest in psychic research and UFOs. So that's where the correlation is with with the space gimmick. Um, now, well, when you when you uh, watch Afterlife, uh, Ray's a cult. His bookstore. Uh, if I remember right, he has uh, books of UFO uh, mm -hmm. on his desk. Um, I'd have to go back and double check, but yeah, uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure it was mentioned that Ray's a cult about UFOs. I, I'd have to go back and look. You know, Afterlife is one of those movies I've watched a number of times, and I've looked for all those little hidden Easter eggs. But that's something I'm going to look for this next time. So, so you mentioned, and we're going to go on a sidebar here. Um, you mentioned um, the little Easter eggs and stuff like that. Now, <clears throat> the 2016 re reboot with the girls. I think, and I I understand why that movie has a love-hate re relationship with Ghostbuster fans. I totally understand why. I myself, I enjoyed the movie for what it was, and I'll tell you why I enjoyed it. Um, aside from like Holtzman, like she was phenomenal. Um, I felt like the fact that all of the surviving members of the original cast more or less gave their stamp of approval by having small cameos in the reboot. And if you go back and watch that movie, and I know a lot of people didn't after they, they were like one and done. But there were several scenes during the course of that movie where if you look in the background, there is some sort of tribute to the original movie, the original two movies, actually. Um, so that's why I like I give it a pass. Do do I do I consider it part of the original franchise? No, because that's not what what it's written for. It's a reboot for a reason. Uh, but I I I don't hate it. I will watch it from time to time just for what for what it is. Um, now, with the success of Ghostbusters in 1984, like I said, I've mentioned it a couple of times, second highest grossing movie of 1984. The sequel comes out five years later. Now, we talked about this aspect with Back to the Future, what the long break between the original and the sequel by the time you realize that they were making a part two and the original cast was on board with this in your opinion had too much time elapsed did it wane your interest in the franchise or were you all in enough to where you anxiously anticipated the release of the sequel which was in 1989 all right well First of all, let me hopscotch, okay? Because you talked about 
answered a call and the Easter eggs, and then you went to Ghostbusters too. So let me talk about answer the call real quick. Yes. Answer the call to me was a decent movie if it wasn't called Ghostbusters. If it wasn't, if it was called anything else, I, I think that movie would have been a good movie. I don't think that cast had the same dynamic uh, that the original cast had. Um, I can, if I thought really hard, I could think of all their names, but quite frankly, it doesn't matter to me. Kate McKinnon's the only one that I really liked in that movie as uh, Boltzmann. But the Easter eggs that you were talking about. So Peter Vinkman plays a completely different character. And he's a skeptic that, you know, doesn't believe in ghosts. Dan Aykroyd, in a tribute to the first Ghostbusters, is the caddie. You know, uh, I, I like to think that maybe he, he was the zombie cab driver in, in the first one. Because, I mean, he's dressed exactly like him. Right. Uh, Zedmore is, uh, golly, I can't think of her name. Leslie uh, Jones. Leslie Jones's father, who owns a funeral home. And then Egon Spangler, you find a statue, a bust of him uh, in, in that movie. So, yes, there, there, there was tributes, but in my opinion, they weren't fitting to the original franchise except for the Egon Spangler bust in the movie. Um, Ghosts aren't supposed to pop like balloons. <laughs> so that'll be the last I say on that one. Now, talking about the time period between Ghostbusters and Ghostbusters 2, I felt it was enough time. Uh, when we see the Ghostbusters again, the Ghostbusting has slowed down. Uh, Ray Stance and Winston are doing children's birthday parties singing the Ghostbusters theme. Um, and getting shit on for it. Yep, Peter Vinkman is a talk show host. Uh, what was that called? Stories of the Paranormal or something like that. It was that security guard's favorite, right next to Bassmasters. Um, <laughs> yeah. it, it, and Egon, I believe, was still uh, a doctor mm. at, at that time. Um, so. The storyline five years later from the time they were heroes and saving New York City and destroying the Marshmallow Man to now, you know, their their fame has been seemingly forgotten about. There's lawsuits against them for destroying the city. I, I Now I think it's fitting. When I was a kid, when they announced Ghostbusters 2, I was excited as hell. I don't even, you know, it was 89, I was 15 years old. You know, I, I was ready for it. Yeah. But did I pay attention to how much time was spent between the two movies? No, because I thought the first one was done and over with. I never thought a second one was being made because we didn't have the internet to tell us that a second movie was being made. So I was excited as hell when it was announced. Mm -hmm. You know, and a lot of, like, I think part of the charm was it still revolved around your, I mean, like, just about every original character came back for the sequel, which is very rare, even back then. 
like we talked about Back to the Future, and they they had to make some very pivotal character changes or actor changes for established characters in that movie. That that wasn't that wasn't the case with Ghostbusters. You know, you had all of them, and not just the the Ghostbusters themselves, but Sigourney Weaver came back as Dana Barrett, Rick Moranis was back as Louis Tully, Annie Potts was back as the as the the secretary. Um, Jimmy. Yes, thank you. Now, both movies had one supporting character that, to me, like I looked forward to their their spots in in the movie. But in the first one, it was Walter Peck, which was played by William Atherton. Um, he was such an asshole, but I loved. I, the dynamic between he and Bill Murray's character Bankman was phenomenal, and like he 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 wasn't in that movie long, but man, he made an impact on me. Uh, this is, this is Mr. Pecker. <laughs> Peck. Um, the second one is the little dude from the art gallery. Yeah. Uh, that's obsessed with Dana and 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 baby Oscar there. Um, he was a slimy little bastard too, but uh, completely different. Now, the dynamics of the two movies, the antagonists, if you will, you know, in the first one you had Zool, you had the Marshmallow Man, you had Slimer. This goes. Yeah. Um, the second one, you had the painting. E, uh, Igor, yeah. Vigo, um, Vigo the Carpathian. <laughs> I told but, you, what a bunch of nonsense up here. I know, I know. But the river of slime that runs under New York City, negatively charged. Now, I'll be honest with you. And I saw that the first time. Because New York City in the 80s, had a a stigma to it like it's the largest city it's the city that america is built around you know it's the big apple it's this it's that but it didn't have the greatest of reputations you know um so when there was that uh, river of slime that went underneath the city that was all negative energy that had you know transformed into this pink ooze i'm like well goddamn i wonder if that's real life because you know there's there's so many people in new york city and you hear all kinds of news stories and and things that are, that are are depicted on t on television and movies like new york city doesn't seem like a very nice place to be and like i appreciate the fact that they incorporated that into the storyline for ghostbusters too First of all, I'm going to blow your mind. Your your little uh, German buddy in Ghostbusters 2, his name was Janusz. And uh, yeah, there you go. And secondly, <laughs> that, that river of slime I thought was genius because there are multiple abandoned train stations and subway tunnels in New York that are completely forgot about and blocked off. So not only to incorporate that, but to incorporate that river of slime into the painting on Vigo the Carpathian. When you look at his neck and it's running up his neck, 
was absolute genius to me. Uh, the character Beagle the Carpathian, I thought was just a badass, big time larger than life. The the painting, oh no, no, no pictures in here, you know, Yano's yeah. around. I the, you know, to to go to the actor of Vigo the Carpathian, I had no idea who he was when when I first uh, saw him. Um, can I tell you his name now? Absolutely not. But he was in the movie Digstown. And are you thinking what character he was? Yeah. He was Charles Makeham Diggs, the man in the wheelchair who didn't say nothing the entire movie. Huh. So, I know, a bunch of useless knowledge. So, <laughs> but... It's useful right now, so I wouldn't say it's useless. Beagle the Carpathian didn't have to say a whole lot in the Ghostbusters movie. He didn't have to say a whole lot as Charles Makeham Diggs because his facial expressions did the acting for him. So when Vigo was looking down at Dan Aykroyd, when Dan Aykroyd was running the test on the, on the photo, that scared the shit out of me. <laughs> Vigo is such an imposing character. I would definitely, if there, if there was a match between Gozer and Vigo, I would be putting my money on Vigo because Vigo was just a badass. Now, did he have the same effect that Gozer had? No, because I, the special effects weren't there. He didn't have the big set build like they had on top of, uh, you know, that that apartment building where Dana and Tully lived at. Um, but Vigo as a character to me, it's scary. I mean, th think about it. You, you have a seven-foot-tall ghost terrorizing a baby, trying to take possession of the baby. You know, we don't have, you know, fun time. I mean, we had an appearance by Slimer in the second one. But the second movie, in my opinion, was actually a little more serious than the first movie. Yeah. You know, the first movie had some comedic aspects to it, where the second one, well, yeah, you know, we had the dancing toaster, ha-ha, funny, with the pink slime. You know, we had, we had the, I think Ghostbusters 2 was made more to make you feel good than to make the movie. Because like you said, you had that negative pink slime going through New York. And then you had the symbol of America breaking through that negativity and the Statue of Liberty when it came time to take down Vigo de Carcassia. Yeah. So I think that's what that was meant to do. <clears throat> It cost 30 to $40 million to make the movie, which I figured with the success of Ghostbusters 1, they would have expanded that budget a little bit. But like I said, this was like five years later, four, you know, in terms of, of, of filming. Um, total box office revenue from the first original run in 1989, uh, $215.4 million. So not not the box office smash that that the original one was but still respectable 1989 another one of those summers that had blockbuster after blockbuster after blockbuster because let's fa let's face it nothing was beating batman and that that was the number one movie of 1989 the michael keaton one um 
nothing was topping that. Then you had Indiana Jones three, I believe. Yeah, three. Um, no holds barred. <laughs> I mean, cinematic blockbusters here is what I'm talking about. <laughs> now, the success of the movie obviously spawned a lot of um, extracurricular income in terms of something that we have mentioned quite a bit here on the show, uh, cross-promotion. Yeah. <laughs> Um, it spawned cartoons, it spawned the breakfast cereal, it spawned its own flavor of high C, you mentioned earlier, Echo Cooler, video games, um, toys. I, I just, now, there were two cartoons that came out. There was the real Ghostbusters, and then this other version of Ghostbusters. Now, I'm going to provide kind of a controversial take here. I hated both cartoons. Hated them. Um, I hated the fact that Garfield's voice was Peter Bankman in the cartoon. Fuck <laughs> the shit out of me. You know what I mean? Had they been able to strike a deal to where the original actors would have been the voices of the original cartoon, I would have been okay with it. I didn't like the way they looked. I didn't like the way they sounded. I be, Egon did not have uh, white honky tonk man hair in the movie. <laughs> um, Ray Stance was not a short, fat dude that looked like a younger, smaller version of John Candy in the cartoon Camp Candy. Um, I, I just, I hated it, dude. I hated the cartoons, both, both versions of them. Like, I don't even know why the fuck they made the 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 second variation of it like absolutely no reason for it but the real ghostbusters uh the cartoon like i i i just couldn't do it where were you at on it well here's my controversial take on that and i'm sure certain members of the ghost corps which i'll talk about a little later are, are going to be upset about uh plus i'm sure i have some people from gb swat probably listening to this episode for those that don't know, GB SWAT is a cosplay group based in Flint, Michigan, who does fan-based fan film movies, who I've gone out on a few different events with. Uh, like I said, Doc Brewer was the one that built this for me. So going to the cartoon, I'm not exactly sure when it came out. I never watched the cartoons. Maybe once in a great while, if it was on, I'd flip through and watch it. But much like you, when I saw what Egon looked like, and when I saw what Ray looked like, you know, Slimer, 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 you know, right. I, I was not into the cartoon at all. Now, just a real quick sidebar, you were talking about the different things that came out from the cross-promotional aspect of it. God, I don't want to go back to it again, but Ghostbusters answer to call was a reboot, okay? Ghostbusters Afterlife was what they call the third in the series, right? A continuation wrong. of the original story. Wrong. A video game come out called Ghostbusters, the video game that Dan Aykroyd put his stamp of approval on, which was supposed to be the third Ghostbusters movie. You're probably not going to find that in your research, but when that game came out, Dan Aykroyd went on record and said that that 
video game was supposed to be what the third movie was supposed to be. So I just figured I'd throw that out as a bit of trivia because I, I'm about 99% sure you didn't find that in your research. No, I did not. So, nope, sure didn't. That, I, I have the video game out. It, it, it's one of those things, like, as a collector, I have the video game out there, Ghostbusters, the, the video game. I also have Ghostbusters Answer to Call video game. Once we're done with this call, once my long guy's done out there, I'm going to go pick up the new video game. Fact of the matter is, is I'm probably not going to play it because I'm a collector. It's probably going to sit there and collect us. Uh, but I want it just simply be because I got it. You know, I, I got to have it. Uh, Cross-promotional items like that. Ghostbusters cereal just came out not too long ago. And I had many members of the Ghost Corps reach out to me because I do work at a grocery store. Hey, when this stuff comes in, will you pick us up a box? Absolutely. I must have put out a dozen boxes of Ghostbusters cereal. But that it, it's so funny to say that because that just lets you know how timeless the Ghostbusters franchise really is. Um, Afterlife really sets the tone for that in the name itself because there is life after death when it comes to the ghostbusters and if you've seen afterlife you know what i'm talking about because egon spangler no spoiler uh but his character so to speak lives on in, in the franchise so wow that was a complete sidebar i'm sorry but million thoughts useless knowledge I feel no. I feel like it's important to to recognize that because Egon Spangler, not Harold Ramis. If it wasn't for him, there wouldn't be you know partly him. It's not all him, obviously, but he was a driving force behind all of this. Everything that you have in your background and the fact that we are wearing these logos on our shirts, he had a huge hand in that, and that that should be celebrated. It should be recognized just because in real life, he has passed away way too soon. In my opinion, um, you know, it's important that he, he is honored in, in that aspect. You know, he, Harold Ramis did some amazing things, not just with stripes and, you know, the, the, uh, movies like this, but like he was part of, uh, he played a, um, a role in as good as it as good as it gets with with uh, Jack Nicholson, and he had a small role in that, but man, he fucking nailed it. Like anything that he was in, he, he gave his all, and that's that's just acting. That's not counting his writing, you know, contributions. Um, so I'm I'm happy to see, and I was happy to see him represented in answer the call, but you know. With the afterlife, it all ties itself in together. Now, you mentioned a little bit ago, you are part of a a cosplay group, and we talked about this with Back to the Future that there's all these you know these conventions that are specifically centered around that franchise. Uh, Ghostbusters, obviously, with the popularity, the longevity, and the legacy that that franchise has, even to this day. 
it has spawned things like their own comic cons and their own conventions and you know cosplay groups how did this become part how did this become on your radar well i i always knew that there was something out there but i didn't know how deep it actually went so um i met this uh, young man by the name of rob well it rob and uh uh rug I think his last name is, and uh, he introduced me. He he was part of this this group called Ghostbuster SWAT. Ghostbuster SWAT is a uh, I, I'd almost like to call it a, a licensed group. They they have they have the rights to use the term Ghostbusters. Okay, you have to go through this company called Discord. And <laughs> Ghostbusters SWAT are the guys that the Ghostbusters got a call when things get too deep for them. So they are all in tactical gear. I wanted to be a part of this because from what I understood, they were doing things like going to children's hospitals, doing parades, you know, giving back to the community, making fan, fan movies. And you know me, I'm all about giving to the community if I can. Mm-hmm. And, uh, when I was introduced to this group, uh, right off the bat, they wanted me in SWAT gear. I'm like, no, no, guys, I'm like 20 years older than all of you. I want to be in the original, the original gimmick. I want, I want to be the old man of the group. And so that's how my character came into place. Now my character is, and this was something that was never discussed in the original Ghostbusters movie. When the trap is set. The ghost trap is set. Egon looks at Ray and says, don't look in the trap, Ray. Right? Right. He goes, I look at the trap. We never know why you don't look in the trap. Okay? So, me with my creative juices, my character is obviously named Levi Blue. But Levi Blue is a 16-year-old kid trapped in the body of a 50-year-old man. Because I look in the trap as a 16-year-old kid. I saw the other side and it aged me another 30 years. So that's where my character comes from. Now, wow, I just went off on a huge sidebar there. <laughs> I didn't know uh, that. Yeah, so that's, yeah, so I'm a 16 year old kid when I'm in my, so I'll, I'll talk like a 16 year old kid. I won't use the, the old man terms, if you will, you know. Uh, I try to use, the more popular vernacular, you know, like, oh, that's bussing, you know, <laughs> shit like that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but Ghost Core, so there's a, it's crazy. You can look up on any Facebook group site or whatever. There's Metro Detroit Ghostbusters. There's uh, the Cherrytown Ghostbusters. There's Grand Rapids Ghostbusters. There's all these groups spawned under the, under one umbrella. It's kind of like all these offshoots of the NWA, okay? So NWA is the sanctioning body, and then you have like NWA Georgia, NWA Michigan. Ghost Corps is the sanctioning body of all these Ghostbuster groups. And you have to meet certain criteria to be a part of Ghost Corps. And you, you, there is actually a documentary out there, I believe it's called Ghost Heads, 
and it's produced by Ghost Corps. So you can see what all entails to be a part of these groups and what these groups do. So, and I also want to put on as a side note too, um, if you really want to find out a lot about Ghostbusters, and you can see I'm not anywhere near close to that piece of shit computer of mine, all right? But you can go on, uh, like I bought, I use Voodoo a lot, but you can probably go on Amazon.com. And yeah, we're not sponsored by it, but hey, Amazon, if you want to sponsor us, you can reach out at Klaus to the heart. At gmail.com. Yeah. I have not seen a one. I haven't seen a fucking Clark bar yet either. What's going on? <laughs> we're videotaping for these guys now. Where's We've been bushwhacked is what's happened. I guess so. But anyway, I digress. Uh, you can go to it's the, the documentary is called Cleaning Up the Town. And it's an inside look at the making of the original Ghostbusters. I would highly, highly recommend it. I'm also going to recommend this. This is Ghostbusters, the inside story. Yeah, I got this off of Amazon, but it's really cool because you can see how they dropped drawings for the state of Marshmallow Man. Uh, you know, a lot of behind the scenes stuff. And, uh, oh, deleted scenes. I absolutely love this book. I mean, there's so much information in here. While I like looking at the pretty pictures, I don't read a whole lot of words. Highly recommended if you are a Ghostbusters fan. So. I'm looking forward to when we do the Rocky deep dive, because I have a book like that on Rocky. Do you really? I really do. Stay there. Um, yes, I do. I, I love the Rocky movies. Who would win in a fight, Rocky or Vigo the Carpathian? Look, I never will bet against Rocky. <laughs> <laughs> never. The ultimate underdog, right? Like, he's going to oh, fight me. I have the tiger. I have the tiger. <laughs> um, that's really cool, man. Like, I, I didn't realize that's how you got, got involved with this whole thing. On the cosplay stuff, I I I have an appreciation for it. I appreciate that there is that level of passion for the original uh, franchise that would spawn things like this. That's when you know you've done something meaningful. Like if you are a filmmaker, if you are an actor, if you are involved in any aspect of that project, all of these years later, man, like it still resonates, and it resonates not just with our age group it resonates with generations behind us like my kids love ghostbusters all of them you know they'll like the original one like all of them um they absolutely love them and that's that's when you know you've you've made a piece of magic and it's just it's part of part of the american fabric in terms of cinematic iconic masterpieces that's what i put that under it is a masterpiece well i will make this offer but only if we get requests from our listeners or in this case our watchers so obviously you're seeing my stuff here you're seeing some of my stuff i'm willing to like i have my cadillac curse out there that i deck out sometimes as a what i call a quasi ecto 
I'll be more than happy to put pictures of that up on uh, the Klaus to the Heart Facebook page, along with some pictures of, you know, my uniform and my equipment. Um, and then also, if you like, I've done crossplay before. So I've mixed, I've mixed Ghostbusters with one of my other favorite movies, Spaceballs. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I have dressed up as Barf, who is dressed up as a Ghostbuster. So, and if you haven't seen my Barf, I'm talking about the character, not when I'm drunk and about <laughs> who to a, you know, bar. But my, my Barf is pretty spot on. So, but only right. if... You know what? I'm going to say, how many people you say, Jason? Five? Ten? I'd say ten. Ten people. If ten people go to the Cross to the Heart Facebook page and they want to see the fat guy dressed up as Barb, dressed up as a Ghostbuster, I'll put it, <laughs> I'll put it up there. So. I'm going to tell you something. <laughs> your, uh, your Barf, your costume Barf, like the first time I seen that, you posted a picture on, of it. <laughs> Very rarely do I legit LOL, as the kids say, when I see somebody dressed up in any kind of costume. Like, it's got to be something pretty spe- pretty spectacular for me to be like, damn. That We mentioned Joe Sny last week when he was dressed up as Skeletor. Head to toe, I mean, perfect replica. Perfect replica. Your barf is perfect. Like, <laughs> dude, when you posted a picture, <clears throat> I legit, like, I busted out laughing for a good 10 minutes. Like, it, it was just so spot on. Totally worth it. 10 people need to, we'll, here's what we'll do. We will put a... A post out uh, across our platforms here, uh, Power Tripping page, PFC page, Close to the Heart page. If it gets ten likes or more, we will we will do that. But I'm here to tell you, it is totally fucking worth it because it <laughs> it, it is one of the coolest costumes I have ever seen, ever seen. Love it. I had a lot of fun putting that together. I had a lot of help from a guy by the name of Benny Richard who uh, helped me put that together. Um, hey, Benny. Oh, hey, can I do something? That, can, I, can I go off script here in a second? Well, of course. We have no script okay, here. here. Well, something happened yesterday. And um, there's few times in my life where it just makes me stop, makes me think, it makes me appreciate uh, what I have and what's going on around me. And I just want to give a big shout out to Alex Steele and a congratulations. Uh, many of you know, uh, he he had uh, some, uh, let's just say some cancer related issues. And yesterday was his last treatment uh, for chemotherapy and he has beaten cancer. So uh, Alex, I just wanted to say congratulations. Uh, you are, uh, when I say a fighter, I mean that in the truest sense of the word. Couldn't be prouder of you. I love you, buddy. And I just wanted to say congratulations. That's all. I second that. Um, 
Alex Steele's one of the uh, most his his determination when he puts his mind to something. That dude don't quit until he achieves it. It may take him a minute, but he's going to find a way to make it happen. This was no exception. Um, you know, obviously, when when you're met with news like that, like there is a legitimate source of concern. But once you you know you get more information as to you know how how serious this is and what you know in the, in his case what the stage of the issue was. You know, once that information came out, like I was convinced that this thing don't stand a chance. Like Alex has got this, and uh, I saw I saw the video he posted, uh, you know, a, a few days back here, and he uh, banged the gong, as it were, and I was very happy to see that. And um, yeah, he that dude is is a fighter, but he, him and him and Andrew both, like they his twin brother um you're you're just not going to find two guys who are more more determined harder working um like they they are the the epitome of of being a badass on, on so many levels so i i second that wholeheartedly so thank well, you, you know, for, for mentioning that you know what resonated in my head right what's that when we were talking about rocky a couple minutes ago yeah, the underdog. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Well, but all right. Um, I mean, are we going to talk about Afterlife, or are we all done? Well, I'll be honest with you. I have not seen Afterlife yet. <laughs> I. <laughs> I your, this over. <laughs> I can't believe you did a Ghostbuster show without seeing Afterlife. Hang on. Hang on. Hang on. Again, fucking Star Wars. It was fucking Star Wars before it was Maverick. God. What's the name of the fucking show? Power tripping through the eighties, right? Did our did Afterlife come out in the in the nineteen eighties? No, it came. Sorry. It was fucking Star Wars. <laughs> you got more homework to do, Mr. Klaus. More homework to do. Are you done yelling at me? Because I feel like I'm going to cry. <laughs> no, I was I was just going to focus on the original two because they came out. In the 80s, because I don't, I don't know. Call me weird. It was just the name of the fucking title of the podcast. But what do I know? <laughs> I mean, obviously, it didn't have anything to do with the other two movies. I mean, God, oh, he called Afterlife. It's not called Answer to Call for fuck's sake. So <laughs> okay, I have I seen the-, the error of my ways. <laughs> I. I will get on that this weekend. Come if I if I got a if I have to make a, a trip over to, to the Meyer and and pick it up on DVD, buy gummy worms. That's exactly what I'm gonna do. Better find those fucking Clark bars while you're at it too. You owe me something. No, oh, <laughs> I didn't realize you were gonna take this so seriously, so personally. 
I'm, I'm cut deep, man. I am cut deep. This coming from the guy that has stacks of notes, looks like two fucking computer screens. I mean, <laughs> hey, don't watch Afterlife. Jesus. I just haven't seen it yet. I, bro, you know how you know how it is. Do you know the last time I sat down and actually watched a movie? Like from start to finish? It's been a minute. It's been a minute. I, I tell you. I couldn't tell you. I tell you what. You look still, like you want to come right through the screen here and like do a dive bomb on me. I, I've t- instead of watching, instead of watching this waste of a shit they call wrestling, maybe you should watch Ghostbusters. Because I tell you what, I've seen Ghostbusters. Afterlife. I, oh. I'm going to tell you. Something. <laughs> I'm going to come on. My plan is to come on Turnbuckle Time Machine. Mm-hmm. And you and I are going to have a verbal smackdown about this garbage you're calling wrestling nowadays. When do you want to do that? You want to record that this weekend? I would be good with that. Okay. Um, Me too. Wow, all of a sudden the air just got real calm. I, <laughs> I don't know what happened. Listen, I'm walking on on eggshells over here. Like, I'm afraid to say the wrong thing and you're just going you're going to find a way to jump through the screen at me. Like, I feel attacked. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was going to try to make it funny there, but that was good. So. <laughs> Is there um, anything else about the original two that came out in the 1980s that you would like to add before we put a bow on this week's show, my good sir? Well, I, I guess we could talk about Sigourney Weaver and the fact that they didn't want her originally in the movie because you know, she was actually badass Ripley and not, you know, some suburban housewife that, you know, they would think anyone would buy into. Or we could talk about the fact that, you know, no, you know what? I'm all done. I, it was called fucking Star Wars before it was Maverick. I, I have to mention this, though. I have to mention this real quick. You brought up Sigourney Weaver. Do you know what got her the role of Dana Barrett? Didn't she go in there and act like Zool? Yes, like she, as the yeah. dog, as the dog, or or turning into the dog. That yep. whole she didn't say word one. She went in there and and reenacted as if she was becoming a dog and rolled around on the couch and the floor, barking and snarling and shit. And Ivan Reitman's like, "That's it. You got the job." Yeah, I mean Ghostbusters. Seriously. Is I mean, we had so many iconic movies. We had the Karate Kid. We had Gremlins. We had Back to the Future. We, you know, Goonies. Ghostbusters is one of those movies, like you and I have said, that has withstood the test of time. It still stands up to this day, and it's proven with the shitty ass reboot and now Ghostbusters Afterlife that you still haven't fucking seen yet, but still. I mean, Ghost, Ghostbusters is, I mean, just two weeks ago, I made myself homemade ecto-cooler because I missed the taste of it. By the way, that's one part Tampico punch, one part Minute Maid lemonade, and then some green food coloring. But still, I mean, <laughs> it's good stuff. It tastes just like it. But Ghostbusters... I think it's one of those movies where we'll probably see reboots for the next 
20 years. I mean, in some way, shape, or form. So. Yeah, it all goes back to Hollywood just just ran, just plumb ran out of ideas. So they're just going to keep rehashing and keep fucking up all, all of our originals and stuff like that. So, yeah, I get it. But you're right, man. It's um, it's made an indelible impression on you and me. And for, I mean, a generation, multiple generations of people at this point. And um, I'm glad we were we were able to sit down and, and, and talk about it, kind of do a little bit of the backstory of the movie itself, what it meant to us. And, you know, obviously with, with your, your museum of sorts, like it's very much a prominent thing for you. Um, so this was cool, man. And I, I appreciate the fact that you allowed cameras to, to capture it this week, kind of put it out there. Um, so I, I certainly appreciate that. And I'm sure our fans do as well. Um, as we put a bow on this, we certainly, uh, encourage anybody with any kind of feedback, your questions, comments, any type of thing like that. Look for us power trip in eighties over on Facebook, or you can find our contact information on Klaus to the heart.net, the official website of the PFC podcast network. Uh, before we get out of here, do you have uh, a topic for next week? It's your pick. It's my pick. Yeah. Well, is it? Is next? Does Saturday fall on Halloween or is that Sunday? Halloween is on Monday this year. Uh, this show will drop on the twenty sixth. So, um. The next episode will be after Halloween. It will drop on November 2nd. Uh, let me think here. Because I, mean, I know you got them wrote down. Well, I mean, we could discuss the eruption of Mount St. Helens, which took place in 1980. Um, we could talk about... the eruption of Levi Blue that just happened about 20 minutes ago. So... <laughs> <laughs> Skip that one. <laughs> um, you know, a fun, uh, a couple of fun topic ideas that was submitted to us from uh, one of our listeners, Brian Ball, who, who who gave me tremendous feedback on last week's episode where we tackled Halloween. Um, we could talk about our favorite rituals of our Saturday mornings as kids. We could uh, talk about the various breakfast cereals that are no longer in existence that we enjoyed as kids. Um, we could talk about the baby who fell down the well in, uh, in Texas there, Jessica. Jessica McClure. Yes. Wow. Or we could just let it be a surprise. You know something? I kind of like where, what was that gentleman's name again? Brian. Brian. I kind of like where he was going with the, with the morning rituals. But what if we discussed just everyday life as a kid? But I want to add a twist to it. You did okay. something. You did something with Amy Sheridan on the real podcast. 
where you fired off questions to her and she had to answer one word answers. Okay, I did. I think we need to do that with one another, but as it pertains to what we did as kids. I like it. All right. I like it. All right. I love I love rapid fire shit like that. Absolutely. Yeah, you know, that, that was a real good show, and I would suggest that to listeners actually go, go check it out on the PFC Network, the real podcast with Amy Sheridan. Some of those, you know, I thought I had her nailed on a couple of those questions, but I never would have thought Penguin. Right. <laughs> so. Last thing I thought, too. Yeah. I thought, yep. Uh, you you can catch Amy and the real podcast on Saturdays here on the PFC Podcast Network. But of course, Les, with all of our shows, they are available in the archives. Just uh, look for the PFC Podcast Network on Apple iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and of course, Anchor.fm. Uh, anything else, sir? Nope. Um... No, I, I just, uh, so since this is going to drop on the 27th, I want to wish everyone a happy and safe Halloween. Uh, remind them once again, Jason and I are in the market for Zagnuts and Clark bars and the peanut butter wax that no one likes. I'll take that as well. Um, like I said last week, go out, dress up with your kids, have fun with your kids, let the kids be kids, forget about your troubles for one night and just enjoy yourselves and one another. Happy Halloween. All right. Well, with that, we appreciate you tuning in either here on YouTube.com or the PFC Podcast Network. We will see you right back here next Wednesday with a brand new episode of Power Tripping Through the 80s here on the PFC Podcast Network, powered by Anchor.fm.